Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. We have a fun episode for you guys today. We've got a bunch of listener questions to go through, some some advice. Um, there's a lot of news coming out of the Chicago Auto Show, although it's not, some of it is, I glossed over a ton of it and just picked okay. up a few things. A lot of it was really, really uninteresting, which made me think that maybe we're really kind of jaded for, you know, controversial Kind of yeah, in your because, face well, because we focus on a lot of the more interesting news or more unique news, which probably isn't coming out of an auto show. Yeah, like ooh, the new escalators. Like, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's it, pretty it's, it's, it's it exists. It sure does. <laughs> um, so we're gonna get into some of that stuff. And uh, but first, what have we got? Yeah, let's talk about hot rods by Boyd. They are manufacturing my new model C wheels, which should be coming in the next couple of weeks. So they were established in 1978 by the legendary hot rod builder Boyd Cod. And they're dedicated to building the finest wheels on the planet for a wide range of vehicles. All their wheels are 100% made to order, CNC machined right here in the USA. And the reason I'm so excited is, like I said, I just ordered my wheels, which are the Model C. They're recreations of the classic Porsche Steelys, but 100% custom made out of aluminum, making them stronger, lighter than the original. Have you seen some of these on the Emery Outlaws? Yeah. Yeah, That's where where you've seen a few of these wheels, right? Yep, he uses a couple on a couple of them. So two-piece welded construction, they're awesome. Uh, Check them out. The Porsche wheels at alloyreplicas.com. Otherwise, take a look at their all their offerings at hotrodsbyboyd.com. All right. So per we want to maintain journalistic integrity here, right? Right. So I want to, if this is kind of a listener input thing, but I want to correct the record. I said last week that it was 37,000 burritos, which <laughs> okay. in my, in so my we're head. Revisiting this, this is a correction <laughs> on your it is, burritos. It's a correction. Per Juggernaut Tech power. via Instagram, who's better at math than me apparently says there's only 16 burritos and a kilo of cl- of crude glycerol 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 okay. and i thought i was thinking to myself well yeah I was imagining like the the visual representation of what thirty seven thousand burritos would look like. <laughs> that's a lot of burritos. Yeah, that's a lot of burritos. I should I should have known better. But um, I'm gonna try and mess up the mess up my math again. I'm not great at math. <laughs> but then I started wondering. I'm like, well, how much does uh, how efficient is a chili cheese burrito with energy density, everything like that? Like, what are we talking about in terms okay. of weight? So I had to make a phone call. Street Taco Bell. Yes, I was wondering if you know the physical weight of a chili cheese burrito. I'm just trying to work out my diet. I'm just trying to figure out the physical weight of a chili cheese burrito. You said the physical weight of a chili cheese burrito? Yeah, just the how much it actually weighs. Not how many calories it has, so just the actual weight of a chili cheese burrito. Oh, so not the calories. No, no, the actual weight, like how much it weighs when you hold it in your hand. Um... Um, give me just a second. Okay. Uh, no, I think she put us on hold. All right, it's um five point five. Five point five what? Five point five what? Five point five ounces. So it's a it, yeah. In total, it's five point five ounces. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yep, you have a good day. All right, bye-bye. Okay, so that it is... Poor girl from Taco <laughs> Bell. <laughs> so, 5.5 ounces, and there's 35 ounces in a kilogram, which means there's seven chili cheese burritos in a kilogram. And to come up with the... So that's 88 ounces of burritos to come up with the same power that is in a kilo of crude glycerol. So, lo and behold, the burrito is a terrible, uh, efficient 
fuel. <laughs> Terribly inefficient. Uh, okay. Fuel. Well, it's um, not made to be actual fuel. But I was I was wondering, and this is just conjecture, maybe somebody knows, what would it take? How much energy does it take to spontaneously combust a chili cheese burrito? Because you think of a spark. When you spark something, you spark gasoline. So you're, you're talking how you volatility. I want to use this as fuel. Uh, what is the volatility of a chili cheese burrito? So maybe someone can pipe in with that. <laughs> so. All right, let's get into our first <laughs> news story. Yeah, so it turns out, Chris, that plug-in hybrids may emit three times more CO2 than they claim they do didn't, in didn't, real world didn't driving. Top, didn't Top Gear come out with a – didn't they compare a Prius versus an M3 on the track? Maybe it was Top Gear. I don't know. Maybe it was something oh, I, I saw know. on YouTube. So they basically they took a, a Prius around the track just at full tilt, right? Yeah. Just all the Which time on it. sounds kind of fun. Uh, it lost. <laughs> it well, I imagine it lost, but still, like, the small little hard tires just – Hooning the, the heck CVT out of it. transmission, man, that sounds exciting. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> and the M3, obviously, when it came down to it, the fuel economy wasn't that much different. Oh wow! Of taking the M3 at full chat and then taking the Prius at full chat yeah, because it's just you know it's just inefficient. It's not made for that type of driving. Yeah. So they well, didn't have a. They had a similar, similarly poor efficiency rating. Well, it turns out the plug-in hybrids are meant for just daily driving, right? They suck at that too. A series of studies have revealed that the fuel consumption rates of hybrid vehicles are far greater in the real world than in testing conditions. The reason for this is that hybrids are, of course, heavier than their gas-powered counterparts due to all the batteries and electric components. Right. And what this means is many plug-in hybrid owners are neglecting to charge these vehicles, running them on just gas alone, losing the benefits of this dual Oh, so that's system. what it is. It's if yes. you were used as intended. So, yes, because when they tell all these EPA ratings and numbers for these plug-in hybrids, it's with a fully charged battery. Right. And, and so they're saying like, oh, you get 150 miles per gallon or whatever. Well, but these people are just get, running around on the range extender, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so that makes a lot of sense. So basically so, people are too lazy to plug their car in yeah. in their garage at home. Well, what's interesting, in the UK at least, a lot of these cars are like company-provided cars. So if you work for a big firm, whatever it is, and they offer you, oh, you get a company car, Chris. Right. Well, you can then get your company gas card. So why the hell would you rack up your power bill at home plugging this thing in when you can just go to the gas station in the morning? Well, the company could put $20,000 chargers in all the parking spots at the company parking garage. Which they do in my job. <laughs> are you kidding me? We you have, have, I think, four or five of them, yeah. Are they used? Yeah, oh yeah, every day. So is, do people get there early just to get their spot at the charger? I mean, you still have to like put in your credit card, so it's not just free on company okay. time. But, they, but, but, but they that's paid. the thing. Did they pay for the chargers or did someone else pay for the chargers? Yeah, I suppose the building did. Yeah. I don't know. That's a lot of money. All yeah. right. So um, news is we've been talking about the the Taycan, right? It's, sure. It's, everybody Porsche's says, electric vehicle. Porsche's electric vehicle. And everybody's like, oh, the range is terrible. The EPA gave it an incredibly low rating, right. way below what Porsche said the thing was capable of. Okay. They basically cut it off at the knees and... Everybody was like, well, this is ridiculous. Why would anybody, you know, use one of these? Why would they buy one? Right. You know, and we were kind of thinking, well, it's a performance vehicle. Those have always got less fuel economy okay. than a kind of a sedan. So you kind of let it slide a little bit, right? So, yeah, well, it's, you know, a 911 doesn't get as good a fuel economy as fill in the blank, any $30,000 sedan would. Right. Okay. So that was kind of my thing. That's how I justified it in my mind. But Autoblog has done a little bit of testing, and they came back with some interesting results. Okay. So this is via Autoblog. My result of 287 miles projected range in a round-town driving shows that there's an ample cushion if you drive normally. It took 72.9 kilowatt hours to replenish the battery afterwards, and the math worked out to a consumption rate of 34.8 kilowatt hours per 100 
is that per 100 miles, I think, yeah. um, that's fully 29% better than the EPA rating. Wow. 29% better than the EPA rating. So, I so think, what was the EPA doing? I don't know. The EPA rating was... Uh, 49 kilowatt hours per 100 miles. Yeah, they're just... It's the, the thing is that I think what's going on here is we don't have proper measurement. We either don't have proper measurement tools. We don't have a standard. We don't know what we're doing. You would think the EPA has a standard for this. Apparently not. Because if they tested, what did they test this thing on? We should probably look into that on yeah. another episode to find out exactly what their testing the, the, cycle, the testing like. cycle looks like. Um, but he says, better still, the numbers didn't plummet on a more spirited road trip. Higher speeds and a bit of light hooning up a mountain had an effect, but it was nothing like I expected. Hmm. My projected range was still more than 50 miles better than its official rating after all that. Oh, wow. So let's agree to stop wringing our collective hands about the 2020 Porsche Taycan Turbo's range. It's more than fine, and it and it truly is. So there was another. What kind of led me down this rabbit hole of of looking into this, and that's how I found this article was this German. Um, there seems to be a lot of German vlogs that like to compare things. Okay, so um, <laughs> one called Next. Boss is this? Let's just compare them. <laughs> Next move tested some charging rates for the Model Three versus the Taycan, and this isn't a lot, but I think it's important to note that everybody's always saying the charger network, the charger network. Okay. It's way better with Tesla. It's way better. Right. The Taycan achieved a six percent higher higher uh, kilometer an hour charge rate. So it's charging 6% faster, better, whatever the oh. case may be. And the EPA rating, so they did testing of a Model 3 yeah. and a Taycan. I was kind of thinking, well, why didn't they just test a Model S? Wouldn't that be the equivalent? Right. Uh, but they couldn't. They're, uh, they're not comparing apples to apples. They're just comparing what the EPA rated them for versus what they're finding. No, I'm just saying they compared a Model 3 versus a Taycan, which is not necessarily what you would compare a Model S with a Taycan, but apparently they couldn't get a Model S. So well, the EPA, no, I'm saying, but what they're looking at here, you look at the numbers that they're looking at. There, it's not like, oh, what's faster? What's getting better? EPA no, rating. No. They're just comparing what they found right. for their real world testing versus right. the EPA. So the EPA rating for a Model Three is 523 kilometers uh, for a charge, and the real world what they got is 332. Wow. Okay. And the Taycan EPA rating is 323 kilometers, and they got 314. Hmm. So it's much closer, much closer than than the model than suspected, three. much yeah. closer than suspected. So I don't really know what's going on here. None of this it seems makes so sense. Variable. Everything is variable. Obviously, real world stuff is going to matter, especially with batteries. It's temperature. It's where you're going, what speed you're driving. I have to imagine, too. It's like, do you have your heated seats on? Do you have the radio on? It's like, because all of this is using the same fuel, which is right. electricity. Yeah, which there's is no different. there's no alternator generating current. I don't exactly. think um, I've actually never done mileage testing with everything on in my car with the lights Even either lights on wipers on radio on full just blast, everything you can bl have blower on, motor on, on max defrost just start unlocking and locking the windows <laughs> like over and over again <laughs> just everything's on blinkers oh, like hazards uh, just everything on just see <laughs> see what your fuel economy would be i, have, I really have no idea that's, that's really cool funny. all right so next on our story this is kind of or our new stories this one's this really bothers me. And yeah. this is kind of an investigative journalism story, so I'm not going to take no credit for this. And I'm going to read you guys a little bit of it. This was uh, Jason Torchinsky, who is a journalist over at Jalopnik. Yes. And I just kind of want to get your thoughts on what you think is going on here. So we know that you can uh, over-the-air update a Tesla, right? So you sure, can, yeah. So they basically push you software updates or your Quest. Down. I'm not sure how the interface it's, works. It's probably but regardless, 4G. It's probably over yeah. the 4G network. Yep. Tesla probably pays per push or something like that with the... Okay. Um, so Alec, 
and they say they're going to withhold his last name for privacy reasons, bought a 2017 Tesla Model S on December 20th of last year from a third-party dealer who bought the car directly from Tesla via auction on November 15th, 2019. Okay, so, so this guy's buying a used Tesla. Right, he bought a used Tesla at uh, from a third-party dealer. The car was sold at auction as a result of a California Lemon Law buyback. So it's something hmm, they've had yeah. a bunch of problems, and they bought the car back. When the dealer bought the car at auction from Tesla on November 15th, it was optioned with both enhanced autopilot and Tesla's confusingly named full self-driving cap capability. <laughs> Together, these options total $8,000. So this wow. is serious options. I mean, I can't think of options on almost any car that cost $8,000. Not unless the option is it's a completely different model with a different engine. Like an <laughs> M3 versus a whatever. I mean, that's... Uh, you could probably option out some stupid specs on like a GT3 911. This could. is two options. True. For each $8,000. That is huge. So Tesla officially sold the car to the dealership on number 15th uh, at a date that this guy confirmed. Tesla seems to have conducted an audit of the car remotely. The result of that audit was, was that when the car software was updated to the latest version in December, the enhanced autopilot and full self-driving capability was removed from the wow. car. Tesla confirmed the audit. And a full disclosure from a uh, statement from the Tesla to the dealership at the time of the sale does not mention anything about the removal. It's worth noting that those repairs on the disclosure were not actually made, which is why Alec took his car to his service center in January. Okay. So when Alec asked So Tesla, they never told him they're stripping these features out. No. So when Alex Alec asked Tesla customer support about this, this was his response. Tesla has recent identified instances of customers being incorrectly configured for autopilot versions that they did not pay for. Since there was an audit done to correct these instances, your vehicle is one of the ones that was incorrectly configured for autopilot. We look back at your purchase history, and unfortunately, full self-driving was not a feature that you had paid for. We apologize for the confusion. If you are still interested in having those additional features, we can begin the process for you to purchase them. <laughs> so this guy bought the car from the dealer based on a set of features that the dealer understood the car to have when purchased right. at the auction. And I don't blame the dealer in this instance. It's not their fault either. So together, these features are eight grand. Um, I don't understand how what gives tesla the right to modify anything after the car has been is no longer theirs right once the car is no longer theirs and it's no longer owned by them and it's owned by a third party it's owned by an owner they have no right to remove anything from it that would be like taking your car in for service yep. and someone goes oh this thing has adaptive cruise control but this car wasn't supposed to be optioned with adaptive cruise control and they physically take out wrenches and remove the <laughs> option from the car yes this is the same thing yeah if not worse yeah eight thousand dollars so wow i don't i have a feeling this is going to end up in court yeah. i don't really know where this is going to go so from the way that the tesla rep explained it they had an instance it sounds like what caused the audit in the first place they had an instance where maybe someone had these features when they bought a tesla new that weren't paid for right it's like oh well, we got to go through our whole inventory and see which cars have it that paid for it or not and for whatever reason this one also got removed so this is not the first time that this has happened. Oh, really? Um, so this guy, this is another update to the story. This guy says, I sell dozens of Teslas a year, and I sold my father-in-law a Model X P90D with ludicrous speed package. Mm -hmm. 60 days after the purchase of the car, Tesla removed the speed package. Upon complaints to them, they said he never paid for it. We have video evidence How? and multiple pictures of the vehicle with it. They even removed the line under the P90D. I'm still shocked at these acts. 
So, wow. Here's what you do. What do you do when you have an issue with a car? Let's say you buy anything. Yep. And you have an issue and you're, something's broken. Yeah, something you bring goes, it to the dealer. And what are you not doing with a Tesla? Because what is there none of? Dealers. There's no dealers. There's nowhere to go. There's no real recourse. What are you supposed to do? You just call them on the phone. You can't just go, like, you can't go to the dealer and drive the thing through the window, which is what <laughs> I would do if this was my car. I would just, wow. you know those discount uh, tire ads where, like, if you don't like it, yeah, you just can bring it back. Throw them right back. Chuck throw the, them through the window. Yeah. That's exactly what I would do with this car if there was actually a Tesla dealership. I would be absolutely furious. $8,000? Well, there's Tesla stores. They just don't call them dealers. Yeah, but it just doesn't seem like the same the network. Yeah. Um, I guess the point is, what are they doing? Is it legal? Yeah. My guess is there's something in the in the writing somewhere, some legal thing. But if once you have ownership of something, I know. that's your private property. Yeah. So I th- here's, well, to play devil's advocate, I, I sometimes do. I bought my Hummer truck used, of course. And when I bought it, it had like a six months worth of free XM radio, right? So this is a feature. Right. Well, well, that's well known as a trial. It says trial on it. You've got a trial. It's a trial thing. This isn't a trial version True. of this stuff. It's not, and it True. doesn't, it doesn't change the drivability of the car either. If you don't have serious XM radio, right. this is something that someone paid for ahead of time, right. and then it was removed. Nope, that, that would be sense. like saying I paid for a lifetime of serious XM radio for five hundred dollars. I don't know why you would do that because it sounds horrible. Well, here's the here to make the story even more confusing and funny. I almost had a lifetime of free XM radio because the gal at the dealership that I bought it from was like brand new and had ever worked there. I think the dealer's supposed to tell GM that they sold the car and to start the trial, and it's not just sitting on the lot. I had free some radio for like three years never paid for it did you actually use it i sometimes yeah oh my ears can't handle it it sounds so well, bad i don't miss it now yeah it's really not that great so one of our listeners actually canceled his xm or, or satellite radio to sign up on the patreon he found that more beneficial so yeah, kudos like to it. you next story is of course we have these are coming out all the time is this is another cars being banned story oh geez yeah so petrol and diesel cars ban brought forward to 2035 in england yeah. A ban on selling new petrol or diesel hybrid cars in the UK will be brought forward from 2040 to 2035 at the latest. Wow. Under government plans. So that's 15 years. 15 years. Which, when you put it in that perspective, 15 years from now, I'm not surprised. Yeah. The change comes after experts said 2040 would be too late if the UK wants to achieve its target target of emitting virtually zero carbon by 2050. Except for all the ships that roll into the port with all the Amazon goods. <laughs> yeah. Boris Johnson unveiled the new policy as part of a launch event for United Nations Climate Summit in November. He said 2020 would be a defining year of climate action for the planet. The summit, known as COP26, is being hosted in Glasgow, and millions of politicians and do-gooders will be flying there on private jets. And seven. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not in the story. My bad. It is an annual UN-led <laughs> gathering set up to assess prog- progress on tackling climate change. Sir David Attenborough said at the launch event at London Science Museum that he was looking forward to COP26 and found it encouraging that the UK government was launching a year of climate action. The longer we leave it, the worse it's going to get. So now is the moment. It's up to us to organize nations of the world to do something about it. And that's, I mean, the story goes on and on and on of these guys that's just the basically filleting each other about how great COP26 is going to be and how they're going to ban everything. And all the people that don't have any money that are just regular people won't be able to afford anything anymore. And it's just great. Well, there's wait. a story we left out that said 84% of people will gladly just give their uh, private car ownership 
away. They don't care about it if they get like some robotic car to use. Oh, wonderful. so that's the future. Uh, but for now, Chris, <laughs> do you know Ferrari are kind of assholes? Yeah, they're a bunch of dicks. So Ferrari announced they were, we're working... talking about the company, not owners. So if there's any Ferrari owners listening. Yes. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. No, Ferrari announced they're working on a crossover called the Purosanji. Purosanji. It's a stupid name, but it means thoroughbred in Italian. The problem is. Well, you could see why they, why they would want yeah, that. No, name. it actually thoroughbred. makes sense. Yeah. I just can't pronounce it, so I'm calling it stupid. The problem <laughs> is that it's all, this name is already in use by a charity organization. Oh. So what is Ferrari going to do about it? They're suing the charity over the rights to use the name. Come on. <laughs> so what, what, just because they have a horse on the hood? That yeah, they can, I, anything I, having to do with a horse? Yeah, I don't know. So basically they're saying, oh, well, there's a law that if you don't use the name and if it's not like widely known as a brand and it's recognizable, then a bigger manufacturer or other entity can claim ownership so is this of an, it. Is this an active charity? It is active and apparently they do partnerships with like Adidas and Nike and stuff so like it's pretty big. You don't know the name off the top of your head but they do big business and so this brand or this charity rather went to Ferrari and tried to like work it out. I'm sure they sent some lawyers and they're like look guys what are you doing and Ferrari basically I can tell you right now them. that the name Purosang is not worth suing over. The name sounds stupid. Agreed. It is not a great sounding name. So yeah, rather than trying to work it out in lit or you know in uh, whatever outside of litigation, Ferrari said no. Well, we're going to sue you. They may have asked, but they may maybe may have been told to pound sand, which is that what, is exactly what happened. Which is what a not not for profit should do. Yeah, is just say yeah no. Right. Ferrari, this isn't the first time they have a history of being aggressive with litigation and protecting their identity. Just last year, the automaker threatened to sue the owner of an 812 Superfast after they posted a picture of his company's shoes on the back of the car. <laughs> At the time, Ferrari's lawyers accused Philip Plein of, quote, unlawfully appropriating the goodwill of their trademark and living, quote, a lifestyle totally inconsistent with Ferrari's brand perception. What kind of shoes were they? <laughs> I don't know, but they're basically <laughs> suing a guy because he's not living a lifestyle consistent with brand. Wow. That is ridiculous. I would still want to know what kind of shoes they were. I Maybe know, if it would have been like some nicer shoes, they would have said, oh, well, it makes sense. But if they're just really like if they were Chuck Taylors, that didn't really go very well with the Ferrari. I guess brand. not. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Us. All right. So what do we got next? So NASA, in case you missed it, Chris, we're going to go to the moon by 2024. Yeah, here we're going back. That's yes. great. So NASA's Artemis Moon program aims to land humans on the lunar south pole in 4 years and set up a sustained human presence on the moon by 2028. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. But for colonizing you know our be, You know what all the the post-apocalyptic end of the world films are is a bunch of rich people that eventually go to space, colonize the moon and leave us here to all our dirty, right. nasty, yeah. you know, fatty foods and Yeah, there was a movie with like Matt Damon. This I, sounds honestly this sounds great. Let's <laughs> just, just get, out, get of out of here. Yes. Just leave. So, because of this though, they're basically thinking we need some sort of rugged train and transport unit, aka Another moon buggy. Right. For that, NASA is counting on ex experts in the automotive space. So the agency is asking private sector experts to submit ideas for a new lunar terrain vehicle or LTV. This next gen rover needs to be human rated, they said. What does human rated mean? It means to carry people. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> 
just, just put some seats on the thing. That's, yeah, that's, human rated. Okay. Uh, which, fun fact, the original lunar rover was actually designed in partnership with GM. So this isn't unprecedented, and I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Might, uh, might have to dig into that a little bit You know bit what's more. kind of interesting is as China just landed something on the dark side of the moon. Right. Which is kind of sketchy. Nobody really knows exactly what it was. I think at some point in our lifetime, you will see military vehicles on, on the, the moon. moon. You're going to see areas claimed. Well, you have the Space Force now, Chris. It's, it, exactly. It's going to be just like the, the colonial days where you had France and Spain and England all vying for parts of North America and South America yeah. and giving like chicken pox blankets to people and everything else. <laughs> well, there, no, there are luckily are natives no indig- on the moon. <laughs> There's no indigenous peoples <laughs> that we are aware Ooh, of. Oh, there you go. That was terrible. No. Yeah, nope. Um, so we'll see where things go. I, I, I'm interested to see bulletproof vehicles on the moon. Imagine the amount of armor plating you can put on something when there's only 10 per, or 15% of Earth's gravity. We'll just ship Cybertrucks exactly. up there, Chris. That's exactly what I was going to get at is just send a bunch of Cybertrucks out. All right. So the VW Passat life is short, which... It's been around for a while. Yeah, but who... Honestly, the... All right, let me read this. So the Passat is also a car that has a finite lifespan in terms of planning, said uh, Nyshen, is was some guy from Volkswagen, apparently. Um, <laughs> while no decision has been made, I would say that it's a reasonable assumption that when his when this Passat reaches the end of its life cycle, its successor will probably not feature an, intern, an internal combustion engine. Do you know what okay. Passat means? No. It means trade wind in German. Oh. Know? Jetta yeah. means jet stream. That's right. They Jetta do means a lot of like, uh, yeah. wind names. And a lot of people think golf has to do with, like, you think Tiger Woods, right? Golf. <laughs> but it actually is for Gulfstream. Um, and uh, then they went way off the rails with Tiguan, which means tiger and liguan, which are basically tigers and iguanas. They're just lizards. So yeah. if you would drive a Tiguan, you're basically driving a lizard. It's a hybrid tiger lizard. Yes, exactly. The Touareg is named for the nomadic Touareg people of the Sahara Desert. Anyway, so you remember the B3 Passat? Was that the one with the goofy front end? Why do you say goofy? because <laughs> it was goofy there was no grill it was awesome it was like a tesla before teslas that's exactly the thing had no front grill it just had kind of underneath the bumper there were some vents that would come up okay but the thing was great came with a 16 valve engine yeah or a vr6 that's true I so like both that. in both cars were great for swapping you know if you wanted to swap it out to something else they made wagons yeah so they made a b3 passat wagon which slammed on its nuts is a killer looking volkswagen with that front end cool, that's kind of yeah. round and they're just slammed they yeah. look great the problem is that they're all just like anything else they're all wasted they're all toast you could get a tdi as well okay um actually i think it was an aaz which was the indirect injection diesels that you could get in canada okay which is well you, the tdis have a computer Right. The IDI does not. So it's a 1.9, ah. but it doesn't have a computer, which is what I put in my, my rabbit pickup truck. Um, anyway, I feel like the Passat's been dead for a while. I don't, you don't, I just. You don't see many of them, do you? And then they came out with the Ardeon, which is also this big. What is the Ardeon? You don't know about the Ardeon? No. It's just another big car that Volkswagen makes. And I don't understand in the world of nobody buying cars why they right. built the Ardeon. I don't know. I'm not really. And they had the CC for like just a minute. Right. I feel like that thing was only made for one year. And then they're not bringing the Golf over here anymore, apparently. But you're going to be able to get the GD, GTI and the Golf R. Oh, And then at right. the Chicago Auto Show, they were all thinking, oh, well, we're committed to enthusiast stuff and everything else. And I'm like, what does that mean? R-Line Tiguan? It just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really excite me very much yeah. if they're being disingenuous about that. Um, things are looking really bleak, however. Speaking of things being bleak. Yeah, things are looking really bleak for Nissan. And this is, I mean... 
really, really bleak. Okay. So in December, about 50%, only 50% of the brand's dealers participated in the factory sales incentive programs, which are the things that you see. They're like, yeah. no, no finance or no zero interest financing, blah, blah, blah. And I guess as you go up, you can get different benefits that you can offer people if you sell more cars. Oh, sure. Um, that's down from 65 to 70% two years ago. Some dealers say more customers are taking a pass on what the retailers say are dated products and Nissan showrooms. And what have I been saying this entire time about things like the 370Z and the GTR and stuff like that? They look the same as they've looked for 10 years. True. They have not been updated. It's I think that they have a commercial that came out that showed the uh, the Nissan Sentra or not the Sentra. What's the other one? The midsize know. sedan. No one cares. That's the things. <laughs> I don't even know. And it's sad because the brand is, you know, if you look back all the way toward Dots and stuff like that, it's, yeah. it's a legendary brand. Um, according to Smith, 40% of Nissan's dealers are now losing money wow. or just breaking even. And many are shifting their attention away from Nissan's new cars and instead focusing on marketing higher margin certified pre-owned and used car sales. Makes sense. And this is the start of how it goes down. Because you it's a vicious basically a vicious cycle if you think about it. Not selling new cars means they aren't ordering new cars, which means the factory is not producing new cars and they're selling less cars, which means there's fewer cars in the profitable service base and eventually fewer cars in the used market as well. Yeah, I suppose. So if the mothership isn't making any money, nobody's ordering cars from the mothership, that is a huge problem. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with Nissan. It's as we've looked things aren't there's no there's never any good news about nissan i think they were doing like a like a new turbo v6 thing that i think sounded really interesting but in general there's really we haven't heard any of them as far as like i don't know new technology why aren't we ripping the cover off of a brand new gtr right just something to excite people and get you know get the get things moving i know they're like a retro version of a z car like a 280 that's all electric why not? Just I, something different. They don't have the money anymore. Yeah. They just, they're they are really, do you remember? There Was there a Super Bowl ad for Nissan? I don't know. I don't know. I think they really have tightened their belt loops. I think they've That's really. That's not the phrase. Tighten their tighten belts. your belt loops. What do you, you tighten do? Tighten your belt. Tighten your belt. Yes. They've really <laughs> tightened their belt. Yeah. They've really tightened their belt. And uh, I don't think that there's, they don't think they're doing much. And it's, it gets to this thing where it's. It's really hard to climb back out. The momentum is swinging in the wrong direction. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in one of Chris's super obvious headlines, California is expensive. It is. It's uh, <laughs> especially San Francisco. Um, the median house cost in San Francisco, there's a point to this, is $1.3 million. The wow. median, house, median. median house cost. And uh, I found the cheapest real estate out there. And this is from SanFranciscoGate.com. Parking spot number 140 at 88 Townsend is up for sale to the tune of $100,000. For a parking spot? For a, for a parking spot. What? So my question is, do you think you could buy an RV for forty grand and then park it in that parking spot? No. And then, no, they wouldn't let you do that? No. They this, this association would not no allow way. you to. So this was listed by Compass Real Estate Agent Bill Williams. Oh. William Will. I wonder if his real name is William Williams. <laughs> <laughs> He's pitching it to potential buyers as a safe investment where they you should park your money. Oh, gosh. Very punny. Yeah, very, very punny. Uh, many have sold for $90,000 in this uh, parking garage, but a verbal offer at this amount was refused. I don't, okay, so I don't understand. So this is basically like an apartment complex or something with a parking garage and the parking spots yeah, get sold as well. If you're interested in actually property. living at 88 Townsend, yeah. not just parking your car there, it'll cost you quite a bit more. Okay. A one-bedroom, one-bathroom, 644-square-foot condo, 644-square-foot so condo. That's so teeny. That is 30% smaller than our studio. 
right? Or 20% smaller. You're right. $849,000. Why? Why? <laughs> Why, Chris? Silicon Valley. That's just uh, that's just how things are there. Okay, wow. let's get to some listener questions. Yeah. So Scramdaz from Instagram, he says, not sure if I asked this or not, but would you take the wing yes. off of a 997.1 GT3 for aesthetic reasons? Yes, 100%. The only, there's only one car that I would own with a wing. One. And it is the Ford Escort Cosworth. You know, the one with the wing that comes off the roof and I attaches do. to the back. What about the Dodge Daytona from 1971? Mm, yeah. I, you know what I'm talking about? The yeah, one? yeah. And I, also the Plymouth, whatever it was, Superbird. Yeah, I don't like those cars. They okay, look, they, but if you had one, you would have to have the wing on. I it. would not own one. Okay, if I would, you had one, you would. I would the just wing own the. It. I would own the regular Plymouth. I would get a Super B or something like that. Yeah, those that's are cool too. I, I would much rather have that than something. And the problem is, is that all the wings are super ostentatious. I had that uh, 996 with the arrow kit, which yeah. is basically, it looks like a GT3, right. but it's an automatic super slow shit pile. <laughs> yep. Like really yeah, uh, so yeah, bad. bad, but it had a giant wing on it and had the yeah. front like spoiler and side skirts and stuff like that. So it looks like it's going a million miles an hour. This is, this brings me to the whole RWB thing that you put all this stuff on it to make the car look like it's just a super machine and then they're just stock 911s. Right. right. Um, the GT3 at least is fast. Yeah. So it, it can kind of back it up a little bit. I agree. Bit. That's why I think it is cool but i see both sides but i would rather have a, the gt3 touring yes which is that's the one. why they offer that because it started out if you remember as the 911 r which was the 997 gt3 with none of the wing and none of the ostentation stuff and sure. it sold out immediately so they're right. like oh hey there's a market for this yep. let's make the gt3 touring that's exactly what i would get because i don't need i don't need downforce i don't need no, any of no that one, you don't no need one it at all really all right does. what do we got Connor McCann says, if you guys couldn't drive German cars anymore, what would you drive as your daily and as your fun weekend classic car? Well, my daily already is not German, the Hummer, so I just keep driving that. Um, that's pretty. That's the car? weakest answer I've ever heard. Nobody wants to hear, well, I'll just I drive just what keep I'm driving what I'm driving. <laughs> Harley. <laughs> the Harley? Harley. Oh. No, I would. Remember how I wanted a Lotus before? Yeah. That's still kind of in my system. Yeah, I could see you driving. I don't a Lotus. think I'd keep it for long. I'm not sure you'd be able to step into one though. Is the only problem because the door sills are. Have well, ever... I won't have a problem hitting my head, so that's not a problem. <laughs> that's absolutely true. But <laughs> they're awful to get into. Just terrible. Have you gone and sat in one? Oh yeah, I've driven them. Do you? Can you imagine your wife getting in a dress, getting in and out of one of those? Yeah, sure. Come on, dude. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, it's not. Fine. They're awful. It's fine. I'm sure they're great to drive. I haven't driven one. I would probably get a Hellcat. Uh, Oh, that yeah. The problem is, is that he didn't put a money object price on it, so it'd be like if you today sold your cars and had to get something different. Okay, well, my daily driver costs seventeen hundred dollars, so I guess I'm screwed. (laughs) 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 I don't know what I'm gonna get instead. Maybe like a S10 pickup truck or something. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's a seventeen hundred dollar car. I could probably get three thousand dollars for it. Which, man, I don't know. Miata. Let's go with a Miata for your fun car. All right. What What have we got next? No. So you're not even answering that. I. I, I, God, if I was going to sell what I already had, I, I don't know. Probably a, um, I'd probably get an SUV of some sort, maybe a Forerunner, which is something I'm kind of jonesing for right now. That'd be cool. And if I didn't have my 911, I would probably ship an Escort Cosworth RS or yeah. a, a, a Lancer. Uh, mm, no, probably a Delta Integrale Evo 2. 
yeah. I think would be the choice right. in I that like price that. range. Yeah, that's a good. We'll plan. go with that. All right. So Nicholas Lee from Facebook says, "What's your thought on parts that wear over time instead of mileage?" So he has a 2014 335i, has 25,000 miles on it, and he only does about 4,000 miles of driving a year. Which Chris would say you need to drive more. Yeah, but no if he's looking to keep the car for another five years, 4,000 miles a year. Yeah. Holy cow! That's I. I put. Just my wagon gets 20,000 miles a year put on it. And then my car gets another 10. Right. Wow. So the question is, are there any components that can wear out due to age? Yes. He hasn't had any issues yet. Mainly just oil changes, brake fluid, battery, and tires so far. Here's what's interesting, Chris. Did you know, because it is the rubber components that usually fail. Did you know you're supposed to, like, brake lines, rubber brake lines are only rated for three years? Yeah, you're supposed to change. Well, that might be a stretch. I don't know if that That's I've heard. That's what I've heard. read. You, I, I don't no know. No one does that. But I've, I've pulled cars that have sat in a field for 19 years and not changed the brake lines <laughs> ill-advisedly. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, you're just looking at things like uh, bushings. You know, yeah. any even even a car that's been well maintained over time, bushings will fail. Oh, it's yeah. just it's inevitable. Rubber bushings are going to be the number one thing that goes. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't really think that you have that much to worry about. Um, I'm imagining shocks are probably another thing that aren't good at sitting you know you can't let your car sit uh like if you if you put your car on jack stands and let right. the shocks droop that's not a good that's not good oh for right them. i suppose yeah not. So you're, it's not good for them to do that but honestly i don't know i think that's just rubber components really yeah as long as you're taking care of uh everything else in terms of lubricity 993 andy says it's 20 years time electric propulsion is now the very norm but you can still what's very norm the very norm <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, but you can still have just one old fuel burner in the garage and are rationed to 3,000 miles a year. What vehicle and where would you go? Ooh, the, the, the vehicle up choice is obvious. I would just keep my 911. Sure. But the where would I spend the 3,000 miles on is a little bit tougher because that really limits me. You'd have to trailer it out somewhere if you really want to enjoy it somewhere. You would. Otherwise, I think a lot of people are probably going to end up at a country club doing laps. True. Uh, I would probably take it out to Utah. Yeah. I would probably take, yeah, 3,000 miles a year. I could just almost spend some time out in Utah. Just spend some time out on in Utah, and then I would just spend the rest of the time just driving it around town here. Right. Because I think that's probably the best way to do it. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I'd be, I'd probably similar. I would do 9-11, but I would probably, unless it's some big trip I'm planning with you, I'd probably just drive it around town. Oh, speaking of big trips. Yeah. Did you know that Lyft is happening? I did. Are you thinking of going? I am. So because um, we already booked our stay, we did. That's right. We booked our place. We are going and we got lucky. We are right. We're actually in the show location is where our Airbnb is is. still a secret. Uh, Well, I don't know for sure, but you can deduce very easily if you look at uh, Durham, Durham, North Carolina. And there's this big tobacco plant. With mm-hmm. a huge parking lot next to it, and mm-hmm. it's this old, all this old buildings, and you know this cool compound. I'm guessing that's where it is. I have no official information whatsoever. Right. This is just me guessing. I'm pretty sure that if I was going to do a show, that's where, that's where I would do it. Sure. But there's a there is a group of guys that are putting together a huge road trip across the country to get there. Right. Because the last six Luftgekühl shows were all Luft- out. <laughs> Luftgekühlt. Okay. What? That's what I said. No, it isn't. But Luft- go ahead. Uh, they were all out in LA, yeah. obviously. So a lot of these guys are going to cross-country road trip in. 
right to North Carolina. Yeah, I wonder if this is kind of a. Uh, we'll see who does the most road tripping, the West Coast or the East Coast. So we'll see like how many people show up. But it's going to be huge. I'm actually going to head out west. I can't say anything yet about you know any details or anything like that. But I'm going to drive my car out west, meet up with these individuals, and I'm sure. going to drive across the country again to get to Lewis. I'm really, really, really looking forward to that. Are you taking anyone with you? Um, hopefully you want to come with. That would be sure. great. I didn't know if I'm coming as a passenger or driving. Uh, I would assume you'd want to drive, wouldn't okay. you? Well, um, I don't know. But you have to get your own cabin in one of the towns that we're going in because <laughs> I'll just drag the mattress outside. Drag again. the mattress outside. <laughs> we're not going to deal with that ever again. All right. So, Chris, I have a new segment for our our Overcrest Rewind episodes here, and this is going to be this week in motoring history. All right. What have we got? So, 89 years ago this week on Thursday, February 5th, 1931, Sir Malcolm Campbell set a new world land speed record wait for it, of 246.09 miles per hour in 1931. Okay, just imagine what else everybody's driving in 1931. Model A, Model T. Right. Just like you're driving around in these, you're basically driving around in buggies. Right. And this guy, especially- doing 250 miles an hour. 200, well, almost. Almost. This thing looks unbelievable. So, yeah, it's the 23.9 liter supercharged aero engine powered Bluebird. Okay, imagine, think of this. Think of a two liter thing of soda, right? (laughs) Yeah. Think of basically, uh, what would it be? 12 of those. Yeah, basically 12 two liter things of soda stacked on your, that's the displacement this thing is dealing with. That probably doesn't even take into account the displacement of the supercharger. No, certainly not. It's massive. Probably so. I think it probably still made like 110 horsepower or something like that. Who knows? Campbell was actually knighted for this accomplishment. He became a knight. Oh, because he he was he's from England. There was a little British flag on it. Yeah. So the name Bluebird for the car was originally inspired by a play. Oddly enough, so apparently Sir Campbell liked this play so much that after leaving the theater at night, he pounded on a paint shop's door, demanding the owner wake up and sell him some blue paint so he could paint his car before racing at Brooklyn's the very next day. The paint is still wet at that point. Why? Imagine trying to get in the paint. You're like, oh, don't touch the paint. You're opening the cockpit. Did he drink too much at this play? Like, is that what happened to Sir Malcolm? I, I, I don't understand. Okay, so. If you're Malcolm and you're about to go drive 246.09 miles per hour, you're obviously crazy to begin with. <laughs> okay. okay. Just, just think in terms of the contrast of what you're doing. I mean, it's easy to say even today, 246 miles an hour is ridiculous. Yeah. But if you take yourself back to 1931. That's like j- flying to Mars. It is basically akin to breaking the sound barrier. You know, yeah. it's it's absolutely unbelievable that the guy was going essentially 200 miles an hour faster than anyone else was going in any, <laughs> in, in, in any vehicle. I mean, think of most cars are going 40 miles an hour top speed back then. Yeah. Or, or maybe more, but they're not doing much. So that's this, six times the speed of what most people are doing. Right. And we're not talking about, you know, the old Rolls Royce stuff and the big cars. No, but the, yeah, you just you're, the regular you're people. Yeah. This is, it was a quite the accomplishment that he deserved to be accomplished for. We have a little clip that we're going to play for you. Is this your favorite song, Jake? So far, yes. <laughs> At Brooklyn, Sir Malcolm Campbell shows his famous Bluebird, now redesigned and rebuilt prior to another attack on the world record of Daytona next month. Ever since we returned from Daytona in March 1933, we've been busily engaged on rebuilding the Bluebird. And this gigantic task has only just been completed. 
Six months alone was spent in carrying out exhaustive wind tunnel tests. And uh, this is so important because wind resistance increases with the square of the speed. I do think that we have at last got a really efficient streamlined body. Our tunnel tests told us that if we were able to prevent the air from flowing through the radiator whilst the car was travelling at maximum velocity, this would increase our speed by a further 15 miles an hour. And we've got a lever fitting beside the steering wheel here to enable the driver to shut that shutter, although whether he'll be able to do so and take his hand off the wheel when travelling at full speed remains to be seen. <laughs> of course, success <laughs> will definitely depend upon weather and beach conditions. Yes, yeah, so you also have to realize I they were racing we on the beach. He's like, I hope we should be successful. <laughs> it will be, I think, a great tribute to British design, British workmanship, and material. I, awesome. So the guy's like, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to take my hand off the steering wheel to adjust this flap or whatever right, it is. He's exactly. Like, at 246 miles per hour. But we'll see how it goes. We hope, <laughs> we're hope we're successful. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys, what's up? What do we got coming on Friday? Friday, I have another history story for us. Okay. And I also have a guest who knows a lot about this vehicle. I'm okay. I look, look forward to hearing from that. Guys, subscribe to the podcast. We'd really like you to do that. Leave a review. And if you can, go to patreon.com slash overcrest. Support the show. Support the creators that you love. Support a creator. Get out there and do it. If it's not us, find somebody. Yeah. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. Take care. We'll see you on Friday. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words.